How many of you here are still suffering from a sugar rush the other day? As of this recording, guys, it's October 31st, and we just had our trunk retreat here. How many of you were able to come out? We had a great time. I, and some of us are still, I'm still trying to overcome the, I think the sugar rush has dropped. And I'm now waking up, we're running around chasing little ones. We had a, a booth out there, we're doing, we're starting our Christmas season, as you saw, we're starting to do Narnia. So if those of you want to invite people to church, or if you're online, we are doing free community theater to bring people together. And wouldn't we like to do something like that during Christmas, bring people together, amen? Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about the series. We're going to end this series today. It's on a... Um, um, it's on the seeing in the dark, and hopefully you've enjoyed this series. Today is going to be apropos, because today is October 31st, and as a, as a result, I wore my Edgar Allan Poe tie, and it is apropos for today. All right, that's your one dad joke. That's for Nick. Thank you for preaching. I'll never get over your dad jokes, but that is the only dad joke you'll hear this morning. Never more after this. Never more. <laughs> No, but it was fun. It's fun to watch Nick preach. It was fun to watch Greg preach. It was really fun to get into this series and how to really get through the difficult times of seeing in the dark. We have no idea what the future holds. We don't actually know what's going to happen in the future. Are things going to get brighter? Are they going to get less bright? Um, but we do have something in common, and that is we have the Lord and how he gets us through those times. Uh, today's topic is weird. I'll just tell you that the timing of this topic is weird. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to hug this text today. And uh, you're going to see some things you probably didn't see in the great Exodus movies that you've watched, especially the cartoon. All right, so we are in Exodus chapter 4. You're going to want to probably pull that Bible out uh, in the front seat or at least follow along on your app because this, this is going to get a little, a little odd. And I, I, I'm kind of enjoying this. It's going to be a little wonky. Uh, but bear with me. If you have questions after this passage, uh, I'm willing to answer them. Um, but what I want to talk about today is about something I like to call allegiance. The, the topic of this title is Allegiance in the Dark. And originally it has to do with obedience or obeying, right? But that kind of comes on deaf ears a lot of times. Oh, i got to obey. Or you, parents like that word obey. But I think sometimes it loses its meaning with our culture who's really into their own individuality. You know, we don't want people telling us what to do. We want to be free. We want to be out there, you know, exploring our own self. And uh, that's what makes it difficult, because we, we don't understand some of these old words that are in the Bible, like these words that have to do with being loyal, or these, these kind of things about pledging allegiance. I don't know if you remember um, when you were young, well, they used to do this thing called the Pledge of Allegiance in school. <laughs> you would stand up and you would pledge allegiance to the flag, the United States of America, and a lot of us would not know how to do that. Some kids say some funny things. Um, but what does that word allegiance actually mean? And so I kind of looked it up, and I don't know if it's on here, but uh, that's the passage that we're in if you're looking it up still. But um, allegiance in the dictionary is defined as loyalty or commitment to a subordinate or a superior or an individual or to a group or a cause. And I think that's important to keep in mind because I don't know if we remember what that's like. So for me, it was interesting because um, when I served in the military, I didn't realize how many times you swear in and you, you pledge allegiance to things. And growing up as a kid, you're like, I pledge allegiance to the flag, United States of America, and you kind of wave it around, and you don't quite know what that means. But I think I remember the first time it really struck me what it means to, be, to pledge your allegiance to something. And that's because I had a buddy named Oh. He was a Korean guy that I served with. He was a Korean uh, green card holder, and he joined the military because he loved America, and he loved the country. And so I see this a lot in the military. I had a lot of friends that were not born in the United States. They had green cards, and they really liked serving. You know, they're from different countries, and they wanted to get their citizenship. 
And back then, it was really hard for a military member to get their citizenship. It took my friend like four years. He was a Canadian. It took him like four or five years to get his, membership, his, his um, citizenship in the United States as a military member. Since then, I think they made it a little easier. But O was my friend, and he was studying for this exam. He was going through this exam, trying to figure out what is the history, what is the Constitution. They literally make you do an exam if you want to be a citizen here. And then you have this thing called the swearing-in ceremony. And so we, he says, you know, look, I, I want someone to go with me. We're going to go down to, it was El Paso, Texas, and he wanted to swear in, and it was a mass swearing in, and everybody was swearing, and then there's a huge screen, and on the screen, they put the pledge that you're supposed to do. He's like, I pledge my loyalty, you know, fight all, all people, foreign and domestic, and, and it just goes to this whole, like, rigmarole about you being dedicated to the country and swearing that you show your allegiance to the country. And I had to laugh, because this man was already in uniform and in a military member. And if you know anything about serving, when you go to MEPS and you swear in, you swear in again. You're going to die. You're going to die for your country. You're going to go in, and you, when you're done with graduation, you swear again, you swear again. This man had sworn in the most extreme swearing in, a man who's willing to die for his country, yet he was doing this lighter swearing in of being a citizen. And so that's what it was funny to me. And that's when I realized allegiance isn't just about saying some words. It's about an act of obedience and loyalty to something. And I think that's what we're going to hear in this passage today when we talk about allegiances and loyalties as Christians, as followers of those who profess to love the Lord your God. So in dark times, I think loyalties often gets tested. And so uh, before we go into this passage, which is really obscure, I want to remind you, I think that, that sometimes we don't understand who we're pledging our allegiance to. So in this sense, we're pledging our allegiance to God. And in this time in Exodus, in chapter 4, as you go into your Bible, um, you'll see a lot of things that come up in your text if you're really, really um, kind of astute and you like to study your Bible. There's, there's the mo- I don't know how many people have ever heard of the most quoted Bible verse in the Old Testament? A show of hands. You heard a little bit of it today because I, I noticed that uh, we were talking about the Psalms. As Brad was talking about the Psalms, he talks about God's steadfast love. And these are these constant refrains that show up. Well, where that happens, where all the Bible passages, the most quoted is Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Now, you don't have to, I'll read this to you. You don't have to follow along because you could stay in Exodus 4. But I want you to hear this because I think the Old Testament God, Yahweh, gets a really bad rap. I think people just think of him as this cosmic killjoy or kills, and if you don't obey him, he's just mean, he's going to destroy you. And, and we're right before to go into the plague story here, and you know, people have seen the Ten Commandments, and think, man, this God is just mean, he's just wrathful. And then there's this kind Jesus God that comes along, and he's nice and sweet, and that's the one everybody likes. But they, they will tell you, even people online, that there is, uh, there is a totally different God of the Old Testament than there is in the New. And if you really examine your Bible, you do not find this to be the case the more you examine the text. And so the most quoted verse either in the Bible of the Old Testament is Exodus 34, 6, and 7. And you'll hear this a lot in your Psalms. You'll hear this a lot in other passages. But in Exodus, it says, the Lord passed by before him. This is Moses later on in the story. God is going to walk on the earth. This is a theophany. This is the incarnate Christ walking through the earth, and he's going to declare who he is. And it says, the Lord, the Lord, a God of mercy, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins. But who will be by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the father and on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And what most people do in our culture is they hear that last half. The God's a God of judgment and that's all that he's about. 
But they don't realize that God, how God character throughout the entire Old Testament is so loyal and steadfast and dedicated to serving others and loving people that he is always giving these opportunities. And so they just remember the obedience and bad, I have to do what he's telling me what to do part. And I think that's what we need to look at when we go into this text, because this text isn't going to make a lot of sense if you don't understand what the character of God is all about. And so when you read your Psalms and you hear these phrases, faithfulness, steadfast love, slow to anger, gracious and mercy, it goes back to God describing himself and who he is. And so when you're in your Bible, we're going to go here to Exodus chapter 4, and it starts here at at uh, 18 verses 22, this first part here. But last week, if you remember, Greg talked about Moses having the burning bush. And here you have probably the most popular story in the Exodus. You have the burning bush story, and Moses is giving his excuses why he can't go. And here's kind of the follow-out of what happens after that story. And so here you have him talking. Uh, he takes his, he takes his he's, he's guarding the sheep. He has to take them back to death row here. And in this passage, you, we pick it up here as Moses is going back and, and deciding whether he's still going to go into Egypt. So in verse uh, 18, it says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. In verse 19, it says, and the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. And he went back to the land of Egypt and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And so here you have Moses. He's had this whole encounter with God. He goes through all these excuses. And now we find him in Midian. And he's kind of giving this excuse about, uh, uh, yeah, I have to go back and see if, you know, my, my brothers are dead. Now, he knows one brother's on his way, because if you remember last week, God said, you know, Aaron's going to come, and you're going to meet up Aaron. And so he's on his way. So here he's saying, i got to find out if my brother's dead. So we don't know for sure. Is this him being reluctant or a little bit? Uh, is he telling completely the truth to Jethro? But either way, he wants to leave in peace. And the first part of this test is, is he, wants him, he wants him actually go in peace with his blessings. And his, father is the, is, uh, his father-in-law here is the high priest of Midian. So he wants to leave, leave peacefully and go, and go see his brother, but he doesn't really give that information. So then he goes on here in verse 21. Um, God says, and the Lord said to Moses, will you go back to Egypt? See that, you're, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And so for some reason, you have God meeting him up again in Midian and, and telling him, look, everybody in Egypt, uh, they're, they're already dead, the ones that are seeking to kill you. And he's like, look, here's what's going to happen when you get there. You're going to go talk to Pharaoh. And then he is not gonna let, uh, he's not going to let the people go. I'm going to harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And here you might think, well, I've heard that hardening your heart thing. And so as we continue in this book of Exodus, this is where a lot of people will read into the text. Well, is God hardening Pharaoh's heart? Is Pharaoh hardening his heart? And I just want to put pause on that for this particular service because I think a lot of people will read into this text without actually looking at it. Because I think right here you see that when you go back to Egypt, God's going to tell Pharaoh, go and perform these miracles and show him the power. And so this is like there's something that you're going to do and then Pharaoh's going to respond to. And all the times in the text that you see this kind of hardening his heart or Pharaoh's hardening his heart, God's hardening his heart, what you're going to see is that some kind of truth is proclaimed and either someone hardens or softens their heart. And so just keep that in mind as we go through this passage, but also we're going to pick this back up at the new year when we start off in Exodus again, and it's going to come up heavy time when we go through the the 10 plagues. 
So I just want to put that note in there for you. Some of you people will will see all these huge debates online. Oh, is God going up to someone? He's just like, he's in Egypt and he's sinking to drinking some coffee. And Pharaoh's just like, oh, what a beautiful day. I love everybody. I'm so kind. And then God just hardens his heart. and He's mean to him. It causes him to do a bunch of bad things. That is not what's going on here in the text. And people will read that into this text because we know that God works with us and God says truth to us and we respond in kind. Sometimes he presses on us. And this word here that has to do with uh, he, he hardened his heart is really the word strengthen his heart. You have to have some leather of strength before I can push on it. So I'm going to push on your heart. So you sound like, now, I know what you're going to do. Don't do that. And the kid has a choice. Do I do that or do I don't do that? And that's what you see here, is, is that there's always these choices involved in this situation, even when God is involved in the hardening of people's hearts. So also he goes on, it says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, uh, Thus saith the Lord. Let me go move forward so you can read along with me. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my firstborn, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And a lot of people have seen the book, they've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, and they've seen Exodus, and they don't realize that the first thing that he does is go in and tells him this. And here you start to see the character of God. He goes, look, go in to tell Pharaoh, look, my firstborn son, I say to you, is Israel. And what do we know in the text of what's been happening to the children of Israel at this time? They're in slavery. But before that, when Moses was, was drawn out of the water, they were killing babies. In, and, and this is a response. Look, God is saying, I'm aware that you are killing my people. You're killing them. And so if you don't stop, I'm going to have to get your attention. And I don't want to have to get your attention. And so here we can look at the 10 plagues as 10 judgments, but I actually look at them as 10 opportunities for people to repent. And we don't see it that way. We see this cruel God doing all this stuff. I was like, look, if you tried to kill my family member, I wouldn't give you 10 chances to do anything. The fact that God gives 10 chances, 400 years, babies are dying, and God is still giving Exodus, he's still giving the Egyptians a chance to change and repent. He's, they see the children of Israel obeying God and multiplying and growing and being fruitful in their midst. And, he, and this, this Pharaoh punishes them. He can't stand that this is going on. And what you see here is a spiritual war, a spiritual situation going on. That there is this kingdom that is trying to stop God's children from allowing things to be spread. And here you see the echoes of what's going on in, in today when Jesus comes. Because it says right here, if we don't notice this, it says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I will say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Here we have an allusion to the son. We know who the son's going to be. There's a promise that Abraham had that the son is going to come through and he's going to die and he's going to shed his blood. And he's like, you're trying to stop that. And that's the battle that we see here, that there is a spiritual force that we live in, in a dark times, that wants to stop us and wants to stop Christ from being spread. It doesn't want that message out. And it will use kingdoms, and it will use people, and it will use any means necessary to stop the gospel from being spread. And this has always been the case. But yet God has always had a plan. He's always had this plan to bring Jesus through the line of Israel so that he can set people free. Even Egyptians he wants to set free. And if you follow this story, you find some Egyptians went with Israel when they found out who Yahweh was. He's this merciful God that gives 10 chances, and Pharaoh is still like, no, I refuse. No, I refuse. I'm going to let you go, and then I'm going to chase you down. 
And we do have an enemy like that in this day and age. So this is why this is so serious. And so we find ourselves in this kind of a battle. We find ourselves, like Moses is ready to go. He's starting to decide. He's putting his family together. He's putting them on a cart. And he wants to go fight the dark forces here. He wants to go fight those principalities and those powers that are out there trying to stop the gospel from being spread. Now, he may not know to the true extent that we know because we are on the other side of Christ's coming. But he knows that God delivers through these means. And he's starting to follow that. And we are all, can all find ourselves in this situation. We live in a world that's dark and there are forces that are coming against us. They don't want us to do the things that God has called us to do. The, the, to obey the simple commandments of, and to let people go. There are people out in here in this community that are dying in their sins. And the devil just doesn't want you to say or do anything about it because he has them under his control and he doesn't want you to do anything. He wants to keep them in bondage. But we have the ability to be free. And we need to actually rise to that challenge and obey God at those times. So here we go. We have Moses. He's like, yeah, I'm ready to fight. Oh, let's fight. And so what kind of fight is this? And, and, so, and, so, and, and so what do we see Moses do? And here we go into the most weird passage in the Bible. So God, the, the Spirit of the Lord, or God comes upon Moses. He tells him, like, okay, go. Everybody's going to go. They're getting all ready. They're putting on the donkeys, and the whole caravan's going to go, all the family of Israel. And then you get this passage. And the Lord said, uh, and, and at the lodging place, this is the camp where Moses is at, on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Sipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses at his feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. And it was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Amen, right? We're good? This must be the deleted scene from the Ten Commandments I didn't get. What in the world is going on here? Didn't God just say, go do this thing, go fight the forces of evil? And now it says, like, uh, at the lodging place, on his way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. So God's going to kill Moses? Or it says Moses, but if you notice this little A here for you Bible students, you might know what the A is. How many people know what that is in your Bible? You know what the little A's that show up in your text? This is a good uh, teaching moment. So a lot of times in a text, we have an English Bible. And your English Bible is something that is a translation of Hebrew and Greek. And oftentimes, words and things don't translate well to English, as you may know if you speak Spanish or something. Some of these words just don't make sense. Uh, Like if if I say stupido, that makes sense. If I say pendejo, that means something else. Those don't translate well, right? So So part of this here is to show you that the translators are trying to figure out something incredibly difficult in the text. And so what it is, is puts a little A here, and at the bottom of your Bible, if you have a study Bible, there'll be a little A, and it'll say something else. It'll say, here's kind of how they're looking at this particular word. And I think that's important to know, because part of knowing going into a dark time and figuring out a passage like this, and we are in a spiritual warfare, is knowing how to read your Bible. Because if you don't know how to read it, and you don't rely on the resources of the church, or dive into your book, or you just like do what most people do, like, it was funny because I was watching how people preach this passage online, and they just skip right over it and go straight into circumcision of the heart, and the, let's just go to this other verse that makes way more sense. And so now we never, we never get into these weird passages, and then people online, some atheist who thinks he's got it all figured out, is going to tell us what this passage means, as if there hasn't been scholarship of like 2,000 years studying this passage and many, many other things. 
But so I just want to challenge you, um, often our first response in dealing with a difficult text is to just go, I don't know, that didn't speak to me today, so I will move along. And oftentimes I think we lose what the Lord wants to teach us in these hard passages. And I don't think we're supposed to do this alone. I think if you find a passage like this, you should bring it to somebody who you feel is a little bit more knowledgeable in the word and, and with God. Because what God is trying to do is not be so black and white and spell everything out for you. God wants you to work a little hard in a dark spot to figure out what it is that your Bible is saying. And this is where I find our culture is completely off its rocker sometimes, because our culture says that we need to value other people's cultures. We need to respect other people's beliefs and their understanding on their ways. And we can't go around judging other people unless it's not today. We can go back to the Bible and judge them all over the place. We could say, like, these people are crazy. This God is dumb. They're so stupid. How could they believe these things? How is it that we can have that cultural sensitivity to the people in our current life, but we don't care about the culture of the Bible that God wrote for us that has plenty of instruction when we study it? There are whole people that have studied this culture. And so there are all kinds of cultural things that we need to try and put ourselves in the mindset of who Moses is when he was writing these books, when the children of Israel were going through the, what did they think these passages meant? And that's how good Bible scholars start. They look at the text, the context, and they start peeling it apart. And we may not know that, but us as a family can know that. And God has gifted different people differently within the church to do that. So I want to say, like, when you get to these passages, pray, struggle with them a little bit. Struggle with them a little longer than you feel comfortable doing because I think you'll learn something and you can probably grow and stretch because I find in, if it's weird, God usually wants to use it. There's a reason Moses put this in this text and it may seem weird to us, but I will say that this is the most controversial text in all of Exodus. It's the, it's the most difficult one and for a reason. So I'm gonna give you a slightly different translation. This is a Lexham translation that is kind of given to us by uh, some scholars who kind of look at this text. I'm just gonna read it and it says, and on the way, at the place of, the, of overnight lodging, Yahweh encounters him and sought to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off the foreskin of her son, and she touched his feet, and she said, Yes, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And he left him alone, and the time she said, The bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Right, slightly more clear. Still very confusing, right? So, oh, so what's going on here? Well, the word in this passage says Moses, right? Your verse 25 says Moses. She touched Moses' feet. Well, we don't know who he is. All that we have in the Hebrew makes it more complicated because all of the he's are just he's. <laughs> they're, so they're trying to figure out, well, who's he? Is he Moses? Is he the, the angel of the Lord? Is he Moses' son? We know that's what's on the caravan. And we don't know for sure what the passage is trying to suggest. So scholars have speculated, and that's why you have the little A, well, maybe this is Moses who the Lord is seeking to kill, right? And so anyone who thinks that they've come along and they've figured out this text, um, I would say be cautious if they think they know this text 100%. There's probably nine different interpretations, and you can see how complicated some passages in the Bible can get. But what's very clear, don't worry, your Bible is clear, and there are messages to be learned from this passage. What's very clear is what God is doing in this passage, what he wants to see done. And that's what I want us to get here today. And so I'm going I'm to show you, show you kind of how this might play about. I'm going to give you a couple scenarios as to how translators translate this text. So Moses is going on his way to Egypt. He has his family with him. They're staying overnight in a lodging place. It's a camp. You, make, you set up camp and your family, 
And, and, and in that camp, the spirit of the angel of the Lord is walking through the camp. And he's, he's going after someone. And it says, Yahweh encountered him so that him could be Moses or Moses' son. Right? Those are the only two hymns that we have there. Right? So keep that in mind. So Yahweh is seeking to kill him. Now, we know Yahweh could kill anyone anywhere at any time. So there is a delay in the way that this is going on. And some people have read into the fact that this might be he's seeking to kill him. He's set upon him, either holding him or he's come down with a sickness. Right? Um, and you'll see this whole passage start to echo what's about to happen in the 10th plague. So you have the spirit of the death angel coming through, and it's going to kill the firstborn sons, right? And they have to put the blood over the lamp post, and that's how they'll get set. So keep that in mind, because the passage just before this talked about what? It talked about the firstborn son. Go tell Pharaoh that if he doesn't let my people go, that I will kill his firstborn son because Israel's my firstborn son. And so that's the text that we have prior to going into this passage. So one of the interpretations, and it's the one that I lean towards, is this hymn is probably his son, Moses' son. Now, some people think it's Moses, but I think it's Moses' son. Either way, the, the text is fine the way it is. So what is it that he's doing? So God's going to kill the firstborn of Pharaoh, and Moses is sitting there going, okay, cool, all right, let's go do it. And then he gets here, and it's like the angel of the Lord says, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. You haven't circumcised your firstborn son. Yet you're going to go out and judge other people. I'm going to send you to judge a whole nation and tell them how to be delivered, and you haven't taken care of your own house. And so what's clear in this text is that Zipporah, she takes a flint knife, and she cuts off the foreskin of her son because he hadn't, he hadn't been circumcised. And she touches it to his feet, and she said to him, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. We'll get into that, but think about it here. So he, Moses does not circumcise his own son. Why not? Why was he not doing that? He was willing to allow himself to have God speak to him and say, I want you to go tell those people what the truth is about who God is. He's like, yeah, let's go do that. And he's like, but you haven't taken care of your own house. And here we see a picture of the church. We say, God wants us to go out and fight the forces of evil and fight all the country and everybody's just going to hell and they're following Satan. But have we actually got our house in order first? Have we done the simple tasks that God has asked us to do? For those of you who may not know what circumcision was, it was a covenant that Abraham had made with God. God made that covenant with Abraham. And it was one of the few, obviously this was before the Levitical law, because Moses is still at the beginning of the story. So one of the few laws that they had in the children of Israel to show your loyalty to Yahweh was to be circumcised in the male household. What it did is it showed you that you were loyal to God, that Yahweh and that Abrahamic covenant, that God's going to send a promised seed. He's going to send that seed, and that's the one that's going to deliver people, and that's the one they're going to believe with. So as your loyalty to God, you pledge that. And it's like the only, only place in the Bible that really, at this point, that there's a law. And so what you have here is God saying to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenants, you and your offspring. This is the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 17. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. You shall circumcise the flesh of their foreskin and shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And on the eighth day, eight day old among you shall be circumcised. Every male through all the generations are born. It says any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people for he has broken my covenant. And so part of the loyalty of serving Yahweh was to follow what he asks you to do, the simple commands. 
Now, for, for this time period, Abraham's simple command uh, to, was to all of his, his descendants would be circumcised, right? And for us, that might not be, the, the simple commands are different. What is Jesus' simple commands? Go into all the world and preach the gospel, telling them, everyone, making disciples, right? So that, that's a simple edict that he asks his church to do. And it's the simple command that he wants them to do. So if we want to fight the forces and, and rally politically, the question is, are we doing the simple commands that God has asked us to do? Are we talking to people with our mouths, not just saying things, but actually taking up that call and speaking those simple commands? Because God is severely serious about this command. He's going to take Moses out if he doesn't follow the simple commands because he's using him and he's speaking in the name of Yahweh. And this is how you live your life. You say you love me, but where's the loyalty? How loyal am I to you? I'm coming to deliver your people. I'm coming to, I set you free. Jesus comes to the earth. He's like, I'm asking you to just follow these commands if you love me, to do these simple commands. And so here we see that it's just the simple meanings of not just saying that we love the Lord and raising our hands and having feelings and saying, oh my gosh, the world is so bad, but it's really examining our hearts and seeing where our hearts lie. Because we know that in this day and age, circumcision isn't a physical thing anymore. It's circumcision of the heart. It's where you've dedicated yourself, you've set apart yourself different from the world, and you say, yes, I am loyal, and I pledge my allegiance to you, God, not just with my words, but with my actions and with my life. And that's what it means to be loyal to God. And here we see some tragedy here. You see Zephora, she took a flint knife. Now, this is the actual ceremonial knife. Some people debate as to what Zipporah's motives are. Some people think that she is dead set against circumcision. So she's mad, and she does this. And she, she, she circumcises her son, and, and then that appeases, the, spirit, that appeases the, the angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord leaves after that. So that does happen in the text. But I don't read it that way, and this is just my interpretation. Whether you think she's hesitant to do this or not, she's the one that does it. She steps up when her husband doesn't do the job. And we see this time and time again. It's the mom who will come to church It's the single mom that will spend time in the Bible studies. It's the mom who will take care of the Bible lessons. It was the mom that will teach people about the Bible. And that is not the order God's established here. But God will honor it. God sees that and says, you you did what I asked you to do. Now you saved your husband's life and your son's life, whoever the him is in the story. But what is very clear that even if she's reluctant to do this, and she thinks this is a terrible thing to do, she sees the danger of not doing the simple thing that God asked them to do. And I see this in the lives of people. I see people that are just like, we need to teach their children. Why? Isn't oh, it just a Bible story? It is a life-threatening situation. If your kids grow up and they don't know about Yahweh, they don't know about God, the world will teach him who he is, no problem. And so it starts with that simple task of just obeying and spending time. I know it's so uncomfortable. It is so weird. This passage is weird. This passage is uncomfortable. Imagine what she had to do to step up to take care of this situation. Unless we think that somehow like her son is just, well, why would God kill her son? Well, Moses is 80. So her son, he's probably not five. He's just sitting around saying absolutely nothing in the text. So we have a whole family where you see this kind of reluctance to obey God, yet you're called to go do something. And so this is really what this text is saying. And so whatever you think the interpretation is, what you have here is God takes his simple commands 
very seriously as a church. And so this is why it says in Deuteronomy, later on, you'll find this is what Moses writes because he wants to make sure this gets into the law now. Because he's like, oh, this happened. I don't want this to happen again. And says, in Yahweh, your Elohim, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, that you may live. So I thought circumcision was just a physical act. Moses is saying, no, it's not just this act. There's nothing in the church that's just this act. It has to do with the heart. And literally now in this new covenant that we're under, it is circumcision of the heart. That is what circumcision is for. It is setting yourself apart. So he's saying like, it's always been the case. It's not all these laws. It's not all the things you do. It's not all the wonderful things you say. It's literally, where's your heart in your loyalty and your pledge to the Lord? Make sure that that's got zeal. Yes, it's times. This is why I struggle with words like duty. Uh, duty means something different to me. So most people are just like, oh, I got to do the duty. It's like taking out the garbage. But to me, a duty is, it can be an honor or a privilege. I mean, it can be a privilege or a chore, but it's always an honor. Sometimes it's hard to do something that God wants you to do, but it's the honorable thing to do. And, and that's what I think it is. It's hard for me to open my mouth and talk about a weird passage that everybody online thinks is weird. Think about our God is so weird and Bob's so weird. And just you take all that hit. It's like, fine, if that's what you think, I don't think it's true. If you dive into this passage, I'm perfectly comfortable with everything that you see in the Bible. It, it doesn't shock me. I'm not afraid of it. It doesn't scare me. There's nothing the world can say or do that's going to scare me from who I think God is. That's where my loyalty lies. And I want that to be when I fall short. Now, get me, I fall short a lot, but I want my heart to be right. I want that to be, and now here's where you see God's grace come in, because God could have just killed them instantly, but he's kind of holding on. We, maybe the picture, one of the pictures is maybe he's holding Shapura and he's allowing, he's allowing him to be circumcised, and then God lets him go, whether it's Moses or, 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 or Moses' son. Whatever's going on in the text Yahweh is allowing time for them to get their act together. He's very merciful. He could just go, bam, they're dead. You didn't obey? What's the problem? You, I told you what, I, what to do. You just didn't do it. But you see God being merciful, steadfast love, slow to anger, and abounding in love and kindness. So here's the thing I want to say to keep in mind. Being half-hearted about what God has made clear has serious consequences. And I, I, I can't tell you what all the consequences are because you just see them in a daily life. You see it in this family. You see it in other people's families. You see it in culture. You see it in society. That if we sincerely, sincerely want to stop the darkness from coming, we've got to start with our hearts and getting our hearts right and obeying those simple commands. So the story goes on, and that's really the crux of the story, but the story goes on, and you get a little bit of a glimpse as to how some of this comes out. So it says, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and meet Moses. Again, God's reassuring him, your brother's coming. He's right there. I know you're afraid to speak. So he, will, he, he sent him, he went and met him there at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with, with which he had sent him to speak and all of the signs that was commanded to him to do. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all of the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke to all of the words that the Lord had spoke to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the Lord. This, this is, I just want you to look at this. Look how patient God is. So he says, is that what Moses, we learned last week, is that what God told Moses to do? So he says, look, you can tell Aaron, but I want you to go and tell the elders. What does he do? If you look back at this passage, the bottom part says, Aaron spoke all of the words of the Lord that spoke to Moses and did the signs of the, and, and the sight of the people. So he's like, Aaron, and God let him talk to Aaron, but he was supposed to talk to the elders. 
and says, go and gather all the elders. He says, together you say to them, the Lord your God, your father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will appear to you saying, I have observed all these things. And he says, I'm sending you to a land full of milk and honey. And they, listen, they will listen to your voice. God tells them, they're going to listen to you. But instead he's like, no, no, Aaron, you do it. You're the high priest. You go do it. And here you see kind of how sometimes we obfuscate our responsibility to say those simple commands. Like, no, no, we have a pastor. You go out and do outreach. You go out and do it because, you know, that's what we're giving you money for. You, Aaron, you go do it. And yet God still blesses it. God still blesses the little bit of effort Moses is making here to act in obedience. And I, that's the kind of God that we serve. And I say, like, I, I feel this, this same condemnation because I don't think I was as zealous for speaking about God until I got hired in this position. For those of you who don't know, uh, I'm the outreach coordinator here at the church. I scarcely went and talked to people. I'm just an introvert by nature. I'll talk about the Bible. If you want to yell or do anything, scream, I'll, I'll engage with you. But for me personally going, I feel uncomfortable. I don't want to go to someone's door and talk to them about the Lord. But that's my job now. And for some reason that made it easy. Oh, well, I have an excuse. I got a job. I got to do it. Either I do it or don't do it. So I learned within my own heart how even if it's your job, we are reluctant as people to do the simple commands of just opening our mouth. And we forget the Lord's with us. And every time I don't fumble the word or I met a rude person and I just did it, God's been fruitful every single time that I've seen. There's very few times I've gone to a door where someone's just like, oh my gosh, don't bother to pray for me. They're like, well, I just, oh, thanks. And I didn't realize that people are willing to listen to you if you're sincere and you give them a reason to be there. You're like, this is what I believe. Oh, okay. And if they scream at you, so what? My allegiance don't lie with them. I'm not here to serve them. I'm, here, I'm not here to serve them in that sense as my Lord. I'm here to serve them in another way, but I, that's not why I'm here. I don't follow their gods. I don't follow the way they live. So that helped me. So it says, therefore, put, uh, put away all rampantness and wickedness. This is James. Um, and, and he says, and meekness implanted in the word, which is able to save your soul, but be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourself. It says, I know your works, your toils, and your... Oh, this is a... I just want to say that passage real quick. In James, the reason why I bring this up is because uh, we need to implant the word of God in our hearts. But it also says, don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a doer. Don't be like one, it even goes on to say, as one that looks at themselves in a mirror and then walks away and goes, I don't remember what I was supposed to do. Was I supposed to comb my hair? Was it, what am I supposed to do? And that's how I feel like it. I was like, oh yeah, what am I? Oh, I'm the outreach guy. I should probably talk to this person in line about God. Probably be a good idea to do that. But it's so easy in our daily lives to just forget who we are and what we're doing. So that's why I put that verse in there in your, in your notes. Uh, it says, so, and what I, what I really want to caution you is really this part here. And this is what struck me as we were going through this passage, is this verse here in Revelations. So this is also an, a personal problem, right? We all have these personal struggles about not sharing the faith with other people. But also, there's this church problem. And so God in Revelation is addressing these churches. And he says to this one church, I found some interesting things. He says, look, church, I know your works, you, your toil and your patient endurance and how you can, cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those things and, 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 and called themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. He's like, you guys are really good with your doctrine. You're really good at identifying the evil that's going on in the world. You really are solid in that. I have to commend you for that. He says, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for the, my name's sake. And, um, and you're not growing weary in that. And I think we do that as a church. But what hit me, for at least my personal life, is, but I have this one thing against you. And I'm like, wait, they have their theology? They're able to identify all this evil? So what is the thing? That you've abandoned your first love. 
Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I'm going to come along and remove you from your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And here you see God saying, look, we can have all the best theology studies. We can sit and have wonderful fellowship times and enjoy each other's company. But if we don't remember that God wants us to go and do those works to love people and care for others, God can go find another church to do that with. He, can, he could kill Moses and raise up stones and send them to Egypt if he wanted to. He wanted to choose Egypt. He wants to choose all the branch. And so that's what I hope, but my prayer is that us as a church, that we pledge our allegiance to doing those things to Lord. And that's why I put a series of questions to ask yourself. You can go through these later on, but what are you loyal to? Just take it this, these questions as you go through. And it says, what do you spend most of your time thinking about? That often will tell you what you're loyal to. What do you spend most of your time, your free time doing? What do you do to spend your time trying, what do you try to avoid? <laughs> I don't want to do that because I really value this. What are you spending your time sacrificing for? What do you, where do you really give at? What do you spend your time growing in? What do you want to know? Who or what, who or what is quick to, you do quick to defend if, if threatened? What is the thing that if someone hits that button, that's the thing that threatens you? That's probably where your loyalties lie. And who or what are you consider when you make a life decision? Who do you consult? Who do you talk to? When you want to move, when you want to do these things? And because the reason why I say this is because what you love and what you live for, that's what will spread to others. And I'm not just talking about the gospel here. We just went through a passage where Moses is reluctant. That spread through his whole family. So what you choose to love and you choose to live for in your loyalties, that's what will spread to other people, whether for good or for ill. So that's why I said, and behold, I'm always with you and to the end of the age. I just want you to know that, that we're not alone. You're not alone out there in this world as we face those forces, but to keep that in mind. If you've pledged your allegiance to God, are you doing what he's called you to do now? So let's just pray. And, and I want to do something while we pray. So I want to ask just the leaders and prayer people to come forward. I, I, I believe that it's serious enough to, for some of us may need to consider making that pledge to the Lord. I, I'm not going to hold you to it. The Lord's going to hold you to it. So what I want to do as, as, we, as I pray is I want to give you the opportunity to really ask the Lord to speak into your life. Am I simply obeying the commands that you've asked me to love neighbors, to be disciple, to be the church in, in my daily life with my family, with other people, and in my community? And if you feel like you're not and you need prayer, I want you to come forward and make that pledge. Just like a soldier has to come out and willing to live his life, willing to sacrifice being scared, I want to do that now. So while we are praying, uh, while I am praying, if you feel led, come forward to pray with someone here. And maybe you don't know this Lord whose steadfast love endures forever, who's waiting patiently to draw you to him. I would say now is the time. If you want to find out who the true God is, there's nothing in this Bible that I'm afraid to discuss with you. There's nothing anyone in here is afraid to discuss with you, even into our limited understanding. So come forward, ask your questions. But if you're ready to give your life, come forward today, because I think it's no, no time but the present. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray for us as a church. I look at those, those churches in Revelation, and I see what you're doing as, you, as, the, as your, your spirit is evaluating where the churches are. And I don't know where we fall as a church. Only you do, God. But it's my burning desire, God, to see our church just take the simple task of just opening our mouth and looking around and inviting our neighbors to church or having a spiritual conversation or inviting them to anything, Lord, just having a conversation and just obeying that, Lord. So I pray for those people that are sitting in this audience, God, that they take that challenge seriously, 
that they know that you take that challenge seriously. But there's nothing more honorable, nothing more noble than to stand in the presence of God and say, I am all in. It's why we worship you, God. It's why we stand up and declare that you are God. It's why we're not afraid of the gospel, Lord. Let that be the light in us, Lord, that it shines so bright that we can't help but show our loyalty wherever we are. That we're quick to defend those who are hurting and are in need. We're quick to love those people, Lord. So I pray if there's people here today, Lord, just have them come forward as as we close out this service today, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. I just wanna leave you here before you go, but feel free to come forward either after the service or before. Uh, There's some opportunities here to simply make obey. We're gonna have baptism here. So if you've been putting that off, we know how the Lord feels about just putting off simple things like baptism. The other thing is is, uh, we have a new series that we wanna start and it is a good series to launch because it's about talking about God, knowing it's an apologetic series. So the God hypothesis. You've probably read the book. It's similar to that. But we're gonna, it's a good place to bring people and have conversations about who God is because I'm, I'm just not afraid. We're not afraid to have those conversations at church. So feel free to join us as we do that next week. But if not, just go in the Lord and, and thank you so much for coming and thank you guys for online for watching. God be with you and know that no matter where you go, he is with you. And if you open your mouth a little, he could bring a whirlwind that you would never see happen in your life just from trusting in that simple act of faith. Thank you guys. Thanks for coming.
Oh 